In writing about the triumphal entry in Matthew 21, the author describes the worship that the crowd offered to Jesus. And um, if you remember the story, they were going to celebrate Passover and, uh, you know, later on. And so, but they wanted to celebrate Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem. So he says to two of the disciples, says, go to this place. You'll find a young colt, a young donkey, and it'll be tied up and uh, just untie it and bring it on over. And he says, if somebody asks you what you're doing, just tell them the Lord needs it. Sure enough, they go and they find this young colt, this young donkey that's never been ridden. And they untie it like Jesus said. And sure enough, the guy says, what are you doing with the donkey? And they said, well, the Lord needs it. And evidently he said, okay, because they went away with the donkey. And they get back to Jesus. And the disciples took off their garments and uh, their outer garments, their cloaks and their coats. And they placed it on the back of this donkey uh, before Jesus sat on it to ride. And then there was obviously a great crowd. So the crowd began to take off their outer garments and their cloaks. And they began to lay them on the streets. And still others in the crowd, I don't know if they didn't have garments or what the deal was, but they began to cut these palm branches and they laid the palm branches out. And so they just prepared the way for the Lord to come. And then the Bible says they began to shout, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. And they just began to shout and they began to worship. And the word Hosanna means uh, it's an exclamation of adoration. It's just a word that says praise the king or worship the king. It's one of the ways to say that. And so there's this great crowd of people, this great multitude of people, and they had this affinity for Jesus and they were worshiping him and they were proclaiming Hosanna uh, to God in the highest. And so they knew there was something special, but they didn't really know what that week was going to be like. They didn't really know that their king was going to you know, by Friday night or Friday afternoon, their king was going to be on a cross. They really didn't have any idea that that's what it was going to be like. And it's, it's possible for us to not really have an idea. And so as we get ready to think about Easter and as we think about the Good Friday service on Friday night, and I, I, and I, I know this is really not a time for a commercial, but I want to give you a commercial Man, I hope you guys will come. We're, we're going to do some things a little bit different. But I just believe you'll encounter Christ here Friday night. And, and it is at 7. And forgive Kyle. Somebody told him 6. I won't say who it was uh, that told him. Anyway. But uh, Kyle, it's okay. Um, but maybe 645. But you want to come because we're going to celebrate uh, the Lord Jesus. But I think it's good to have perspective because here's the thing. They were in the middle of it, but they didn't really realize it. And it's possible to be in the middle of something great and not even know it. And I remember reading a story about Leith Anderson when he was a little kid. Leith Anderson's a, he's an author, a pastor. I think it's Wooddale Church, but it's up in Minnesota. But he grew up in New York and he grew up a Brooklyn Dodgers fan and, and just kind of, I'll date him a little bit. But when he was a little boy, he had never got to go see the Dodgers play. And one day his dad comes home and says, says, Leith, would you like to go to the World Series? And he was like, wow. I get to go see my beloved Dodgers. And so they went to game five of the World Series. I think it was 1956. And he got to see his Dodgers play the hated Yankees. And they got there and and, uh, his team didn't win. And he said they didn't score any runs. He said they didn't get any hits. And he said nobody ever got on base. And he said I went home just broken that my team had lost. And I was just defeated. 
and so downcast. And he said, I didn't think anything more about it. He said, years and years later, I get to talking to this guy that's one of these sports encyclopedias. You know, you, you've been around them. You go up to them and you mention something and they can tell you all the stats. He says, I go up to this guy and I'm talking to him. I said, yeah, I got to go to the World Series to game five in 1956. And the guy said, you were there? He said, yeah. He says, what do you mean? He said, you, you were at the game five of the 1956 World Series? And he said, yeah. He said, Don Larson pitched the only perfect game in the history of the World Series? And Lee said, what? All he could focus on was his team had lost and he had been in the middle of the greatest pitching experience in the history of the World Series. Now, I'll tell you that story so we would realize it's possible for us to be right in the middle of something great. And if we don't have the right perspective and if we don't have the right vision, we can miss it. And so this morning, I want to spend a few minutes speaking to you on on really hoping you get a vision for who this Jesus is that we're going to celebrate this week as he goes down the Via Dolorosa, the, the, the steps to the crucifixion and ultimately to the resurrection. So uh, I want us to read from Revelation chapter 5. We're going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. This is an awesome passage, and I just think it would be great to stand in honor of the Lord Jesus and of his word. Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then, John says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures, And the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. And praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Father, may we have a fresh vision of this Jesus who was crucified 
for our sins and not for ours alone, but for the sins of the whole world. And my prayer, Father, is those of us who are believers will go out with a new, a new idea and a new perspective about what we celebrate this week. Father, for those here that don't know Christ, and there are some who have never opened their heart to Him, my prayer is that today would be the day that they surrender their heart and their life to Jesus. And Father, when it's all said and done, we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you uh, for standing with me. The scroll is often viewed, this scroll that we talked about, the kind of the way they did things, they would you know, kind of roll it up from two sides. But anyway, it's, a lot of people think of it as the title deed to the earth. Some have even suggested that Adam sinned and, and Jesus uh, regained the earth when he died. And others see it regarding the judgment and the inheritance of the earth. In Expositor's Bible Commentary, they make this statement. They said this title deed, this scroll, contains the announcement of the consummation of history. And so whether you look at it as the title deed of the earth, which it is, and, and probably then some, the question we need to wrap our hands around this morning, what is it that makes Jesus worthy to open the scroll? Why, when he looked around, when John looked around and he saw all these beings, all these creatures, all these elders and, and all these angels, why is it that when he looked around, he didn't see anyone worthy? And then all of a sudden he sees the lamb. Why is it that Jesus is worthy uh, to open the scroll. And he is the only one that, that really has the right to have control of the earth. Now, there are plenty of people, there have been plenty of people over the ages that would love to have the title deed or the, the scroll, what the, the authority. They would love to have control of the earth. We can look in the scriptures and, and we see Nebuchadnezzar and we see uh, Artaxerxes in the Old Testament and we, and we think, man, they would love to have had control of the earth. Or you look at people like Napoleon or any of the Roman emperors and they would love to have had control of the earth. And then we move kind of into the, into the uh, Western civilization and we think about people like Lenin and Stalin and Hitler and they would love they would love to have control. They would love to have the title deed to the earth. And even in our generation, even in our day, there are leaders, there are world leaders that would love to be able to say, I'll take the scroll, I'll take control, whether it's in China or North Korea or the, the uh, president over in Iran. I mean, there are plenty of people, there are plenty of people that would love to say, hey, I'll take control. In fact, we even have people in Washington that would love. Some of them even think they have control. Plenty of people would be willing to take the scroll. But there's only one that is worthy. And it is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that is worthy. And, there, and you might be saying, well, so why is that so significant? Why, why, why does that matter uh, so much? And, and see, so here's the thing. This is what you and I need to understand. If Jesus... If Jesus is worthy to take the title deed and the scroll of the whole earth. If he is worthy to take control of all of the universe, then he is worthy to take control of your life. And he is worthy to take control of my life. And he is worthy to take the scroll. I want to share with you this morning three reasons why 
based on our text and, and some other places. First of all, let me give you the first reason that he's worthy is because he's the majesty of creation. Time didn't allow us to begin in, in chapter 4, but that'd be good reading uh, for your quiet time this week. But look in verse 11 of chapter 4. Uh, the, the, uh, the, they're singing, the angels, the elders, and the four living creatures, they sing this song. They say, um, You're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And so uh, let me just say that the first reason Jesus is worthy is because of the majesty of creation. Now you might look at that verse and say, but wait a minute, Pastor Mike, that those uh, four elders and the 24 living creatures or the 24 elders and the four living creatures, however that thing works, they're they're singing to the one that's on the throne. They're, They're singing to the Father. And you're right. But all through Scripture, we see that Jesus and the Father are one. All through Scripture, we see that Jesus indeed is the one who created everything. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And it goes on to verse 2, and it says, He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and and without Him nothing has been made, uh, or was made that has been made. And then in Colossians 1, uh, 16, it says, For by Him all things were created... Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created for him and by him. And then uh, Hebrews, uh, turn back to Hebrews 1. I, I want us to look at this verse. It's pretty significant. Hebrews 1, verse 2. And I want you to look at it in your Bible. Listen to this. It says, but in these levels, let's start in verse 1. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. And so clearly, Jesus is the agent of creation. Clearly, he is the creator, and because of him, all things were created and have their being. And so the first reason that that he is worthy to take the scroll, because he is the creator of the entire universe, and and what an awesome, awesome universe that it is. As a matter of fact, John MacArthur made the observation, he created all this universe, and he appalled, if we read on in in, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, if we read on verse 3, we'd find that he holds everything up by by his powerful word, or, or all things are upheld by the word of his power. And so when we look at creation, we can't help but say, man, if Jesus made all that, then he is worthy to take the scroll. Now, we think of creation in terms of the physical universe. But uh, actually, in the original language, the word universe uh, is a word for world and not the cosmos, not the physical world. But it's the word, the Greek word ions or aeons, and it's a reference to the ages. And the idea is that Jesus made the ages. That means not, on, not only did he make matter, but he made time and space to go along with it. There was nothing, and Jesus spoke it into something. And he's the creator, and he's created this universe that is literally beyond our ability to comprehend. I want to uh, I want to show you um, a little video. I found this online, and you, you got to watch quickly. But it just it's kind of 
If you look at the, the magnification as it goes along, it'll make sense, I think. It just gives you a little bit of perspective of how minuscule we are and how utterly huge and awesome God is. So let's roll that video clip and check it out. Look quickly. What I'm trying to help you understand is this universe is really big, really big. Did you notice our local uh, supercluster was 150 million light years across? That's just how big it is. Well, interestingly enough, uh, Jesus created all that. And in fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 40. Verse 25, and, and you may want to turn there. I know that's probably going to come up on the screen, but I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. I want you to see this in your Bible, and I'd really like you to underline it because it'll give you a little bit of perspective. But in Isaiah uh, 40, verse 25, God says, To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. There's not a star that's missing in there. There's billions of galaxies and each contain billions of stars. In fact, Stephen Hawking, uh, one of the great physicists, probably the greatest physicist since, um, since Einstein, says there's as many as a hundred billion galaxies, all filled with billions of stars. And God hung them all into existence. Jesus hung them all into existence. And that same God, that same Jesus that did that, he's numbered the hairs on your head. 
He, know, he knows the number of hairs. He even knows how many fell out this morning. Some of you, it was a bunch, you know. But he knows that. He created all that. He created us. I mean, the, we look at the universe and it's just amazing how big and glamorous it is. But just think about the human body. And just real quickly, I'll, I'll just a couple things that I, I read this week and I was kind of reminded of. If you live an average lifespan, that means that your heart is going to beat 800 million times. 800 million heartbeats in the average life. And you don't have to think one time about making your heart beat. Not once. And that same heart, if we live an average life, will pump enough blood to fill tanker cars on a train that would stretch from New York to Boston. That one little heart that God created inside of you. In fact, I I read that the memories of a lifetime are contained in, in a half cubic inch of brain cells. So about maybe a little bit bigger than the size of a sugar cube, that much of your brain can hold the memories of a lifetime. And they're always there. That God that created that, that God that created this universe, that Jesus knows your name. And mine. And the Bible says he ordered our steps before one of them came to be. He was there at the moment we were conceived and he planned our life. He is worthy to take the scroll because of the majesty of creation. He made it all. He made it all. But not only the majesty of creation, but a second thought I want us to look at this morning. We'll call it the majesty of Calvary. The second reason Jesus is worthy to take the scroll is is because Calvary is that place. And we'll talk about this Friday night and next week where Jesus died to pay for the sins of the whole world. If you notice uh, there back in Revelation, uh, the elders um, spoke of... Uh, they spoke of John about the lion of the tribe of Judah, and they, to- they, talk- they spoke of him as the, uh, the root of David. Uh, and so John literally turned, I'm thinking, John probably turned expecting to see this, this awesome vision of Jesus as a conquering lion or as, you know, as the King David. And yet when he turned, the Bible says that he turned and he saw between the four living creatures in in the center of the throne, there was this lamb looking as if it had been slain. That was the vision that he had. And so John Phillips has pointed out in in this great vision and all the the things that John saw, he saw the one seated on the throne and he he saw these great myriads of angels. And, And in all the context of all these things, he missed the lamb when he took it all in. And so it's possible for you and me in the middle of our uh, calendars, in the middle of our work, and in the middle of everything that we do on a daily basis, it's possible for us to see all the grand creation and miss the Lamb. And you don't want to miss the Lamb. But John turns and he gazes, and the, the actual word really is a reference to a little Lamb. A, you know, just a, 
It's, you know, almost like the Mary had a little lamb. That's the picture there in the original language. And it's probably going back to in the Old Testament. Remember the Passover? Remember when Israel was, was in bondage in Egypt and, and uh, Moses went before Pharaoh and he did miracle after miracle after miracle. And finally, uh, you, know, he's, you know, God says, I'm going to slaughter the firstborn son, take a lamb for the Passover. And, and you know, what they would do is they would get this small, this little lamb. And they brought it home and they kept it in their house for four days. And then they slaughtered that lamb and they spread the blood on their doorpost and the angel of death passed over that house when the angel of death came in Egypt. But the the picture is this little lamb. This little lamb. Now contrast that. When you read Revelation, if you've read in Revelation, Satan is this great dragon This serpent of old and the scripture talks about how great and how awesome and how just magnificent this enemy is. And yet, God, it's it's so funny how God, the irony that God was, was this little lamb defeats this great big dragon. It's almost like a fulfillment of 1 Corinthians 1, 27, where it says God's chosen the foolishness of preaching, how God sometimes takes the simple things and he uses the simple things to confound the wise. Well, well God takes this little lamb and he overcomes the enemy. But, but let me just tell you some things about that lamb. When John saw him, he had, and it, was, it had to be an interesting picture. I can't wait to see what this might look like. But this little lamb had seven horns. Now, to us, that's weird. But think about this. In Scripture, in prophecy, horn always represents power and authority. And so John sees this lamb with horns, and he has seven. And if you know anything about Bible prophecy, seven is the number of perfection. Seven is the number of completion. And so when John saw this little lamb, the seven horns says that this lamb has perfect, complete, and absolute power. In other words, this lamb is omnipotent, all-powerful. And then he says the lamb also has seven eyes. Now, eyes are always, in in prophecy, they're always a, a, a picture of knowledge and the ability to see. And so there's seven of them. And so it says that Jesus has complete and utter ability to know all things. He has all knowledge. And so what that means for you and me, this this lamb, this creator, this God, this Jesus, not only does he have all power, is he omnipotent, but he's omniscient and all-knowing. And that means that he can look into to your heart. And he can look right smack into my heart. And he knows every thought. And he knows every motive. And he knows every attitude that we have. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And then... The scripture tells us that there's the seven spirits. You know, we, he's the perfect spirit. He's the perfect one. And that means that he's ever present or omnipresent. He can be anywhere and everywhere all the time. And so this, this, that's who the lamb was, is, 
was, is, and will be, I guess, is the right thing. And so, and, and, and so this lamb, this, this being, then he was slaughtered on Calvary. We'll talk about that on Friday night and we'll celebrate the, you know, that on the, the coming weekend. But this lamb was slaughtered. He was, he was killed because without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there can be no forgiveness. And so he died on the cross. If we look at verse 9, they worship him because they said, with your blood or with his blood, he has purchased men for God. The picture, the idea there, that, that word purchase in the original language is agorizo. It means it, it, it was used when someone would go and buy somebody that was a slave. If they went and bought someone in slavery, that, that's the word agorizo. But what they would do is they would buy somebody that was in slavery and they would take them away from their master and they would set them free. And they would buy them and they would let them go. They would buy them and let them go. Remember, there was three to six million slaves in the Roman Empire. And you could, if you bought someone, you could, if you had a family member or a friend or a daughter or a son or whatever, you could buy them if you could afford it and set them free. And the Bible says that this lamb gave up his blood to buy those of us who are in bondage to sin and to set us free. You can read about that in Revelation 1.5, but he died to set you free from the bondage of your sin. And so my question is, we think about his worthiness to take the title deed to the earth, his worthiness to be in control of all things, his worthiness to be in control of the whole universe. Here's a, here's a question. Has he set you free from your bondage to sin? Because if you've never given your life to Christ, you, listen, the Bible says all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. All of us. And yet Jesus died to set us free. And so my question, have you been set free by the majesty? On our, back in Hebrews it says, when he had made purification for sins, in other words, when he had paid the penalty for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is worthy to take the scroll because number one, he's his majesty over creation, but number two, because of the majesty of Calvary and his death on the cross. One other thing, one other thing, and that is, because of the majesty of, we'll use the word conquest. Look up in verse 5 of Revelation 5. Revelation 5 verse 5 says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Stop crying. That's what he said. Quit bawling. Quit whining. And look around. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Look at this word, has triumphed. He has Triumph. If, if you're a military guy, you may remember back in, in you know, after World War II, a new anti-aircraft uh, system was developed by the United States. Um, I don't know if it was the Army or the Air Force. I don't know who developed it. But the idea, they called it the Nike Ajax. And the reason is that it became a superior anti-aircraft system because it had the, and I guess it was the heat-seeking missiles, but it had this ability, no matter uh, whether... Uh, the, the object uh, tried to fight against it or not. It had the ability to conquer. And so they called it Nike. 
and you've got some tennis shoes probably or, or uh, some golf clubs or a golf ball or uh, a shirt or you probably have something. If you're any kind of uh, athlete or physical fitness, you've got a little thing that has the swoosh on it, the little Nike swoosh. You know what that means? It means triumph or victory. And that, that's the same word. That's from the derivative nakuo in the original Greek. But Jesus triumphed. He triumphed. He's the victor. And, and notice what it says there. It says that he has tried, he is able to open the scroll. By the way, turn back to Colossians for just a minute. Colossians 2, because he has power over all the enemy and, uh, and even over all the enemy's authorities. Listen to uh, Colossians 2, verse 15. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's Satan and his angels, having disarmed Satan and his angels, the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, there's that word, triumphing over them by the cross. And so when Jesus died on the cross, When Jesus hung on that cross, he won the victory over all the enemy and all the powers of the evil one. He won it all. And because of that, he is now Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, I want you to imagine with me. What if if you and I understand? What if we could get our hands around this idea that Jesus is entitled uh, to the whole earth and the whole universe? He's entitled and worthy to be Lord over everything. Imagine what would happen in your life and imagine what would happen in in our life if we could get a, if we could grasp the idea that he's worthy because of his creative power. He's worthy because of what he did at the cross. He is worthy because he is the victor. Imagine how you your life would change. Imagine how your worship would change. Imagine how the way we do things would change if we could just get a, get a grasp on who Jesus is. Because I'm telling you, it would change. It would change. Notice there, back in, in Revelation, let's see what happened when, when John sees this vision, when they see Jesus for who he is. Listen, verse 8. It says, And when he had taken, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Now, if, if we would have looked in Revelation 4, we would remember that the four living creatures, they never cease day or night going, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's what they sing. And then the living, uh, the, the elders bow down and worship. But they sing a new song here. And they take a harp and, and the, the golden bowls of incense and they begin to sing this new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. So imagine, think about this. It's important that you grasp this. Four living creatures... 24 elders, they get their harps and they strike up the band. I was, I told them in early service, there's a 28 piece band. And so think about this. They're playing and they begin to sing. These, these 28, these beings are looking at the, the lamb that's on the throne and they begin to sing and they begin to worship and they begin to talk about how worthy and deserving of honor the lamb is and they keep singing. And they're singing, and all of a sudden, then look down, and I think it's verse 11. It says, then I looked. Now, this is going on. The 28, the band struck up. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, or myriads upon myriads, and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures. And, and so let me help you get this picture. The band's got 28 people in it. There's 100 
million angels, 10,000, I know I'm an Aggie, but 10,000 times 10,000, I put it in a calculator. It's a hundred million. A hundred million angels are around this throne and they're singing and they're worshiping and they're crying out to God. And listen with it. Listen, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Think about this. Worthy. Of, these are angels. They don't know what it means to be lost and redeemed. And they're, they're saying worthy is the lamb to be praised. And so you, this is just the band and the choir. That's all that is. The band and the choirs cried out to Jesus. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. And look what happens. Verse 13. Look what happens. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. And all that is in them, not all that is in the sea, but all that is in heaven and all that is on earth and all that is under the earth and all that is in the sea. And all of them begin to sing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And so think about this. Man, there's a hundred million angels singing his praises and they don't, they don't know what it means to be redeemed. And then those of us join in who were dead but have been made alive. What an awesome, what an awesome day that's going to be. Now imagine, imagine how it might change your life and mine if we get this picture of the king. That's who Jesus is. This This is a profound statement. Let me just read it, and I want you to grasp it. God has placed in your hands the decision as to whether or not you will accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You get to decide that. But the decision to acknowledge Him as Lord is not yours to make. Because every creature that has ever been In heaven, on earth, in hell, in the sea, every creature will bow down before this lamb and declare that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. You will. Loving, hating. Whether you want to be here, whether you don't. Whether you want to go to heaven or you hope to go to hell, does not matter. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he's king, that he's Lord, and that he's majesty. The only question is whether or not you receive him here in this life as Lord and Savior. And then you spend eternity with him forever. Or you reject him here in this life and you'll bow before him and worship him and acknowledge him as Lord before you're cast into the outer darkness to spend eternity in the lake of fire. It's your choice. Every one of us is going to spend eternity somewhere. Every one of us. Like it or not. If you confess Jesus as Lord, you'll spend eternity with him in heaven. If you deny Jesus as Lord, 
before you go to hell, you will acknowledge that he is king. So why not acknowledge him as Lord and king now and spend eternity with him forever? Why not? Let's bow our heads for just a minute. Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord? Have you acknowledged him as your king? Because see, if, if, if he has the right, if he has the right to take the scroll, the title deed to all of creation, he has the right to take control of your life. He's the only one worthy to do that. So if you've never given your heart to Jesus, would you be willing today, would you be willing today to open your heart to Christ? God is so gracious. You know, he's made it so simple. The Bible says that, that Jesus died according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. That on the third day he was raised again according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to a few and then to more. And then he appeared to 500. And then he ascended into heaven. But Jesus died. God's made it so simple. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Why would you not? want to be saved today. This being that created this universe that we can't get our hands around knows our name, knows your name, knows your deepest hurt, knows your greatest fear, knows your biggest screw-ups. And yet he died in your place. Why not give him your heart today? Would you be willing to pray and ask him to come into your life? You can, you can pray this prayer if you mean it with faith. You can say, Lord Jesus, I've been reminded today how awesome you are. How perfect and majestic you are. And Lord Jesus, I realize today how sinful I am. And so I confess with my mouth that you're Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Come live in my heart and give me a new start. Jesus, come into my life and save me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Friend, the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. I know some of you here today, you need to do that. You know that. God knows that. For some of you, probably even I know that. Would you give your life to Jesus today? Others, you're a believer, but our our life just doesn't quite add up. And I just wonder if you'd be willing 
to surrender your heart to God and do it afresh. Just to say, Jesus, man, if you have, if you're entitled to the whole earth, you're entitled to my life. So come and take control. Come and take control. Father, I pray this morning that I pray for every person here. I know there are some that haven't believed in you, and I know they're wrestling with that decision. God, I pray this morning that they would decide for Jesus. God, many of us here are believers, but God, if you, when you look at our calendar and our checkbook and our, our priorities and what we think about and talk about, God, somehow you're not first priority. And I just wonder if you might speak into our hearts and have your way in our lives. Father, we just, we invite you to come and meet with us. Speak into our hearts and we'll give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Dan's going to play or they're going to play a song. And If you need to come and get on your knees before God, and you, you, you're free to come to either side and just cry out to Him and worship Him. Maybe you just need to come and worship Him. Or it might be that you're here and you, you're the one that's never given your life to Christ. Wyatt will be here. And, uh, Kyle will be over here for, for as well. We'd love to take God's Word and show you how to be saved. And one day you're going to stand before Him. I promise. I promise. And you want Him in your heart when you go to meet Him. Why not get Him in your life today? Let's stand together. If you need to make a public decision, I hope you'll come. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. But if God's stirring your heart, why not come?